a Hope House graduate, house manager, and a woman who works with Project Free to Fly. We love her. We believe in her. We know you'll be blessed by her story. Please welcome Jules as she shares her story. Thank you. First, I'm going to put this picture up here of my father that I lost about a year and a half ago. <clears throat> One of my biggest supporters. I have no doubt he is watching me. But let me open up with prayer. Father God, I pray that as I open my mouth tonight, that you would boldly infuse me with your Holy Spirit so that I could proclaim the message of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would keep the hearts, the minds, and the ears open, ready to receive, and that you would take any anxiety or any anxiousness away from me. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. I'm going to start with just a little bit of a poem that I wrote years ago. And there was a part of it in there about the root cause. Most of y'all know who are in addiction or know people in addiction, there's usually a um, root cause. So many years, so many times, they come and go so fast. Alcohol, drugs, destruction, but nothing seems to last. No help for those around the one who've watched the one in pain. She's in, she's out, she's up, she's down. Some think she's gone insane. But this is when our God steps in and saves himself for all. Another life saved just in time before the final fall. So, <clears throat> I say all that to say this. There is... Um, generally a root cause and you'll see in my story a lot of different events that have happened in my life that I never thought I would go through. Um, I did go through them um, and that in turn resulted in a lot, an enormous amount of addiction through the years. I was counting up today as I was thinking about what I was going to say. Naturally, I'm not reading anything off of this paper I have. Um, so it has literally been about 44 years out in a wilderness for me. So what I'm doing is I'm going back to when I was 12. Up to that point, I was the happiest child. I love life. I love sports. I love running. I love being with family, vacations. Um, I love life. I did. And at 12 years old, I was molested. Um, I didn't tell anybody. And um, the person responsible for it, he was my age, he shared on um, school desk then, I should say back then, like in the wagon days, but back then um, there were wooden desks. So he carved on the desk what he had done and wrote it in phone books. Um, I didn't tell anyone, but I can tell you that that is when the light left my life. It did. I never felt the same. 
And really, to be honest, when I look at that situation, I did not really associate that with my um, just feeling not the same, like the sun being gone. I did not. I just continued to go on and act as if everything's great. You know, I was always uh, very involved in school things with friends and all that. I will say that um, I may jump up back and forth, up and down. Uh, I did grow up in a home that um, the alcohol was accepted. We were very social family, so there was always drinking going on. I did not really see abuse of alcohol at that time, but as I look back, it was definitely used um, for stress, for happy, for lonely, for tired, for whatever. And I just thought that was the normal thing. Um, I went to church. We were um, Episcopalian, so we went to church, went and had communion, yada, yada. But I never heard the word Jesus in my home, and I never saw a Bible in my home. Um, actually, I did not pray out loud, like out loud, until I was probably 32. And that's when I had a major change in my life, and I was healed. Um, so I'll back up now to age 12 going forward. So I was happy, whatever, but I always found myself, as most addicts and alcoholics, being a major people pleaser. There, I was always trying to just make people happy, make people do this or do that, and, and do everything for people because that way they would like me. Not in a um, sexual way, but just I just wanted people to like me. Um, when I was 18, I went to Ole Miss, and, um, which was not a good choice. Um, eight hours away from home, that's where my sister went. So my freshman year of college, there I am, big sorority girl, um, and I was date raped. Um, I was sober, and then again... You know, I just, it was just added on to the other. That's all I can say. And I can pinpoint that pivotal mark as when I really started drinking. I flunked out of school. Um, and see, I, at the time, this has taken so long for me to put together, but at the time, I thought I flunked out because I just couldn't get it together. I'm a loser. I didn't want to study. I didn't want to do these things. Um, but in truth, there was something else going on. So I transferred schools. I went to an all-girls school. I thought, well, maybe perhaps I need to not be in such a social environment. I need to rein it in and just be with girls, blah, blah, blah. Well, that didn't really work. I mean, I did okay in classes, but um, following that year, I was coming back from a wedding um, drunk driving, and I was thrown from my car onto the interstate. Um, and this is probably where the first real angel in my life appeared. So I'm thrown out of my car on the interstate, 75. It was actually at the Udawal exit. And um, a man ran out the road and got me and took me to the side. Um the next morning at Erlanger, I wake up, and there's these huge flowers in there from this man 
who I have no idea who it was. I don't know his name. I don't know anything. Um, I was scarred from head to toe, literally. The only part that I did not hit was my head. Every other part of my body has scars. Um, I had my left heel gone, so I had reconstructive surgery on my heel and a lot of plastic surgery. I was in a wheelchair probably, I guess, that whole summer. Even though there were probably 15 beer cans in the back of my car seat, again, I say again, I'm saying it really for the first time, my, my addiction, my alcohol drinking was not addressed. It was nothing, nobody said anything. You think you might need to stop? Um, nothing. It was just, well, now what are we going to do? Because my major in school had been physical education. I couldn't do it because of my heel. So I ended up finishing at a business school where my husband, now ex-husband, was at UT. Um, following year, I'm going to visit friends from my hometown. I had watched their children as, while they were young. And um, so that was the year after the wreck. I was raped by my parents' best friend. Um, so we go from there to, I feel like I'm just, you've got to know at the end of this, there is light. <laughs> you've got to know that God delivered me from all of this. But I have to get this out there because um, to me, this was just a normal life. You know, I just thought, Okay, so these things have happened. I didn't talk to anybody about it. Later I did, but really no one believed me. Um, I got married. Um, I got married to my high school sweetheart. We had dated like seven years. And we got married. I was pregnant. And... My parents wanted me to go ahead and have the big wedding, the big white wedding with all the people and all that. Um, it, was, it was a big deal. They didn't want me to say, you know, that I was pregnant. So I walked down the aisle. I'm pregnant. Nobody knows. Um, on the honeymoon, my ex-husband and I, we were coming back. Now, Keep in mind, during this time, I am in active alcoholism. I am drinking, and I'm feeling so bad because I'm drinking, but I cannot stop. And I think I'm just a loser. I am so worthless. Why can't I put this down? Um, still not having a clue that maybe there's a problem. Maybe you can't help it. Um, so I drank massively up to that point, and then on the honeymoon as well. We're coming back from the honeymoon, and I just started getting panicked. And I was just, oh, my God, what if I've done something? What if I've done something to this child? What if I've hurt this child in some way? And I just fear, which I know, false evidence appearing real. I get that. But... In just a matter of seconds, I decided, okay, you can't do this. I mean, you can't take care of a baby. How are you going to take care of a baby? You're a drunk. So I had an abortion coming back from my honeymoon. I have since, just two weeks ago, really been set free from that. Um, 
I'd gone through many, many things to help me, um, but I really did not call it what it is. I've come to realize through a girl that I see through Project Free to Fly who spoke with me that it's murder. It's just murder. So I need to call it what it is, and that's what I called it. And I ask for forgiveness. If I'm judged on it, then judge me. I don't care. Because as of this moment, God has done everything for me. He has set me free. Um, the, the girl that I spoke with like last week, I just put this together this week, which was, she said, you realize when you walked in here, you're standing taller, you have a glow about you and everything, and then this comes up. Pastor Rhonda's asked me before, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, I praise God I didn't do it, because I would not have disclosed what I'm disclosing the only way that I can be set free and walk on and give him the glory is to be honest. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, so ex-husband's in the military. We're in the military. I've had that, da-da-da. You know, I just keep going. Nobody says a word. Nobody, you know, how you doing? Nothing. It's just happened. And I just keep going. And he gets out of the military. We move back to my hometown I've then got, I've now got uh, two children. I've got a daughter and a son. She's three and he's one or four and two. I don't remember. Anyway, um, I got pregnant again. And I was an art teacher at that time. And um, all I can remember is I was a mess. I was drinking I was taking, I don't know how many laxatives, because I was also in, uh, had an eating disorder on top of all that. So I got pregnant. My mother comes over, and she said, oh, my gosh, there's no way you can take care of this baby. Look at you. There's no way you can take care of this baby. And she arranged and made an appointment and took me to have another abortion. After that, I went to my first rehab for an eating disorder where more was, was disclosed, maybe I'm an alcoholic. I would weigh myself probably 25 times a day literally, to see if this, the number on the scale was the right thing. But it wasn't ever the right thing. I just would try and try to get it to be a certain number, and it wasn't. I know that may sound crazy to some of y'all, but if I wanted to be 104 and I was 104, I needed to be 102. And I would get on there, and then I wouldn't eat, and then I would eat, and I excessive exercise, taught exercise, six classes a day, didn't eat, um, on and on. I did finally 
let that go, the eating disorder. I have not struggled with that in years. But keep in mind something else always takes its place. Addiction's addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs, eating, porn, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You're substituting something in your life to block you from God. Um, so we're in South Carolina, and I have my two children, and then eventually I had my third, Mary Grace. There's Haley, Jackson, Mary Grace. Um, and I, like I said earlier, I did have a major healing. That was at 32. I was in Oklahoma with Kenneth Hagen Ministries. I mentioned also I grew up in the Episcopal Church. If you know anything about Episcopalians and then you know anything about Kenneth Hagin, there's a little bit of a difference. So that was the first time I ever saw or was around healing, clapping, people happy. I just didn't get it. And I went to be delivered from alcoholism. Some ladies took me and they said, just go with an open mind. I didn't know really what that meant, but that's all I could do. Okay, I'll keep my mind open. Well, two days later into this conference, um, I was flattened out and healed from head to toe. I laid on that floor for 15, 20, 30 minutes, came up, and was not the same. I stayed clean for almost four years. And of course, having said that, that was what I expected in the, uh, the next coming events in my life was just this instant, major, down healing. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Why didn't it happen in like last time? Well, maybe God wants to heal you in another way. Maybe it's not when he wants to heal me. Maybe I need to go through something so I can relate to other people. Because up to this point, I still have everything. I mean, I just... Also keep in mind that none of my friends around me, none, zero, are alcoholics, addicts, nothing. It's me by myself, isolated, always. Um, so... I eventually become addicted to cough medicine. I had a cough. I remember my daughter was like three, had hydrocodone in it. I took it, and I thought, what in the world is in this? I mean, and then I started taking it more and more, not needing it. And I convinced myself, like most alcoholics, addicts, this is not drinking, so it's okay. I mean, it makes me feel better. I think maybe there's something in it that I need. Because it's making me feel like an earth person, right? So I just keep taking it and taking it and taking it. Doctors are calling it in for me, calling it, calling it. I run out of doctors. I'm like, I can't call any more of my friends. I can't do it. So my sister said, well, just who? I lost 13 years ago to active addiction. Um, she had told me I could write on the bottom of the script. Just write a line. Back then, they didn't do the computerized. You wrote it. So she said, just write it down under the antibiotic or whatever. 
And I remember going into a bathroom, and I remember doing that. And I remember I was so nervous because I thought. But I did, not, I did not think it through. But I was so desperate, again, in that addiction, I had to do something. So I wrote it down, went to get it filled. Oh, my gosh, I got it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was so easy. Not thinking about a consequence. Well, I did that for about a year and a half. I was arrested three times for prescription fraud. Each time, God put yet another angel or angel or angel in my life. I remember a man from that represented DHEC, which is Department of... Uh, what is it? Department of Health... Health, environment, control, environmental control. I don't know. Point is, he's supposed to be like against me, right? He's in Columbia, which is where the capital is, and I'm laying in bed one night. I've done this, and I'm getting ready to go to court, etc. I get a phone call in the middle of the night, and he said, Miss Brock, I said, yes. He said, um, I don't mean to sound strange or anything, but I've been up all night praying for you. And I said, who is this? And he said, my name's Jeff Chilson. I with D, I'm with DHEC in Columbia, South Carolina. You have a problem, don't you? I said, yes. He said, can you meet me in the morning at, a court, at the courthouse? I just want to talk to you for a minute. So I met him down there. We're in a big room. There's glass all around. Police, everyone is looking in there. And we're sitting in there, and he's praying with me, holding my hand. And he's praying. He said, follow me. Don't say a word and walk up these steps. We walked up. There's the judge. He told the judge what was going on. I have a problem. And I agreed to go to yet another rehab. Went to that rehab. I won't go into all the rehabs. I can tell you that I've been in and out of about 14. I can also tell you that I never once really until I landed in Women of Hope, was it known to me that, you know, maybe it's a feelings disease, you know, maybe you cover that. Is there things going on in your life or that have gone on in your life that you try to numb out? Yeah. So all this time I'm thinking, I'm a loser, I'm worthless, can't take care of my children. Um, by this time, my husband has divorced me. My sister's passed away. The ho I've been evicted from my house. My ex-husband moves my youngest daughter to Tennessee from South Carolina because his family needs to take care of her. I'm in a rehab. I have no car. I have nothing. And... What I can back that up with, you know, every single thing that has happened in my life, I can go back and see where what the devil meant for harm, God intended for good. But you can't see it at the time, so you just continue to numb out. So had he not brought her to Tennessee, um, I would not have both of my girls here in Tennessee. I wouldn't have my grandchild here in Tennessee. I wouldn't have, my daughter wouldn't have met her husband here. She wouldn't have him, therefore I wouldn't have my grandchild. I mean, it's just all 
unbelievable because we lived there for 20 years. And then to just be like, boom, okay, Mary Grace is in Tennessee, but my other kids are in South Carolina. I'm in a rehab in wherever. And everybody's farmed out. Nobody's together. My children are picking me up right and left, right and left, right and left, off the floor from having seizures because I would drink so much I would have a seizure. They'd pick me back up. My sweet dad would take me to the ER. I'm telling you, at least he and others at least 30-plus times through the years, at least, on the point of death, at least. Um, I had come back to Tennessee to help take care of my parents. And I'm kind of jumping back to another area, which is, which is pretty. The whole thing has is, is just been a mess. I mean, I, I could stand up here until the morning and tell you stories, and I just don't want to because it's everybody really has got same tragic um, sadness. Um, but there is usually a root cause, and I've got to say that. And thank God there are people like you all in this room who have forgiveness, who have love, who have acceptance, who aren't judgmental. Um, so I came back home to my parents to help take care of them because neither one of them were really well, and that was in 2016. And when I got, and I had been clean for, I guess, almost two years. Um, what I didn't know was they were both still, even though they weren't well, they were still in active addiction. My mother was still drinking, but more. My dad was still drinking, but he's also taking sleeping pills. It was... I didn't know what to do. I mean, I just tried to take care of them and um, picking my dad up, you know, out of the floor or watching my mom just drink out of the bottle um, was so sad. Um, so I drank. I couldn't do it anymore. I said, well, they're going to drink. I'm going to drink. Okay? So that's what I did. I drank. I would get mom's wine out of the refrigerator Take it upstairs, drink it. Come back down. Dad say, where's the wine? I drank it. We'll go get it. I don't have it. Where is it? It's gone. They go out and get more wine. I get it. Drink it. Everybody's drunk. You know? <laughs> Isn't that sick? But, that's, but I will say, as anyone can attest to we can only take care of ourselves so all this time all these years this stuff going on you know I'm blaming I'm blaming others it's not me you know it's them it's it's mom it's dad it's my sister it's my ex-husband you know he's he left it during 9-11 and he just came back last week Okay, so I blamed him. He left the family when Grace was five. She's almost 23. So I blamed him. 
I got attention with him gone because poor pitiful me. So I just drank myself to death. I had incredible friends around me who helped take care of my children. If I wrote down on a sheet of paper, every family that helped me when I was in South Carolina and Tennessee, it would be at least 200. If I wrote down today, out of that amount, the ones who are still with me that I talk to and da-da-da, it's probably less than half. Some have come back, but I did lose just about everyone I had. You know, they were, they were fed up with me. They, didn't, they were tired of me, sick of me, sick of uh, me, you know, doing whatever to the children, leaving them, Gracie screaming. Um, so, where was I? Somebody do a shout out. I'm with my parents, right. Okay, thank you. Got my third DUI. Third DUI. Um, it was in the morning. I was driving, drunk. I felt like I was going to have a seizure, and I pulled off the road, and I got my third DUI. Um, I went to court for that. I will put a little teeny bit of humor in this. I have to. Um, officer asked me, Miss um, Brock, do you un understand why, you know, we're here, blah, blah, blah. Mm, yes. Miss um, Brock. Can you tell me who the president is? Dang, can't remember. Miss Brock, can you tell us who the president is? Mm. It's that. It's that man, that clown. He's got red cheeks and he's got that wraparound porch head. I'm sorry. I mean, I like, I like Trump, I do. But that's the only thing I could think of with his hair going around. That's all I could think. So that didn't work real good, getting me out of that. Um, so with that, I had to go into jail for four months, which, shoot, up to this point, I really hadn't been in jail. I mean, maybe a couple of weeks. Um. But I did. My father dropped me off and my mother and um, four months. And while I was in there, actually, I ended up starting a Bible study in there. I will tell you that the girls in jail are some of the most spiritual women I have ever, ever been around. Ever. They had my back. You talking to a girl here, I've never been in a fight. I've never seen a fight. Nothing. And they protected me. So, yeah, there are some angels there, too. They really are. And they would come into my cell, my hotel, whatever, and um, we'd have Bible study. It's a shame that 98% uh, of the women in jails um, have issues with substance abuse. If I could do anything in this world... Um, part of it would be just to take money to girls in jail so that they could use the phone and connect with different places where they could get the help that we get. Cause, but they can't. They can't do it. Um, <clears throat> while I was there, my father passed away. And um, 
they let me go out of jail for about five days. I ended up just being gone three. I was afraid. I was like, I can't do this. I've got, you got to lock me up again. I'm, I'm just, I'm scared I'm going to drink. Um, and like I said, my sweet dad, he, um, you know, he just kept picking me up, kept picking me up and kept picking me up. And people would get so aggravated with him because he just kept picking me up. And he'd always just say, Jules, that's, that's all I know to do. I, I have to. I was always his little girl. And he had lost his other girl. So when I needed that help to go to the hospital or whatever, he'd buy me new cars, he'd buy houses, he'd do everything. This is the first time, first time in my addiction, he's not here. But he is. He is with me. I, um, I have this bracelet on right here. I have to say that because everything I have on just about is related to my family. I've got this bracelet that I made from one of his sweaters. It was a cashmere brown sweater. And I wear it because it, um, it's kind of a link to him. He was such a giver. I mean, he did. He gave and gave and gave and gave. And it reminds me of him. This my daughter gave me for Mother's Day, and this is from the other one, um, United Way. My son sent me flowers um, for Mother's Day. I am so blessed. I can't even, I can't comprehend it. Uh, but I can. Because I was willing. You have to be willing. And you have to be able to endure the different things that people say, people do. No trust. You know, you know what comes with it. It's, it's terrible. But you have to keep standing. You have to keep... You always say, hear me say, I'm not able. You have to be able. You have to be able. Um, I will say this. I, I said that about the girls in jail um, and the substance abuse. The link there... There is also, I found out, and see, I never even looked at anything like this because really, when I talked about my abortion, that's what I called it, but I never looked really about. I wanted to see, is there a similarity between that and substance? Yeah, there's a big, there's a big link. It's huge. Whether it be... Um, being under the influence and it being unplanned or it's in a situation like mine where you think you've done something to the baby. I don't know. But I know that when we're in active addiction, I don't know if you ever feel any lower than you feel when you are <clears throat> in active addiction. So you basically just do what people tell you to do because you you don't really make decisions anymore. You're not able. You're doing everything wrong. You know, you're not raising your kids right. You've lost your other job. You've got another DUI. Where are you going to live? Um, so you do what they say because you can't make a decision. Um, 
I was in jail when I was in jail for that DUI. I was in jail. I'm going to read something to you real quick off this table um, that my daughter wrote because she had to give a talk a while back for um, Project Free to Fly, which is where I work, which is a nonprofit, um, just so you can get an idea. This is my oldest daughter, and she had to, to give a talk. They were doing a fundraiser. This was about three weeks ago. And she says, This time, almost two years ago, I found out I was pregnant with my first child. My husband and I were excited, and we could not wait to share the news with our families that we were expecting our first baby. We planned to tell our parents first, and I will never forget telling my mom that I was pregnant with my child her first grandchild, through a collect call while she was in a local jail. It wasn't what I pictured. My beautiful mom had struggled and fought hard against the grip of substance abuse for many, many years. When people think about addiction, they may have a certain picture in their head, but it can truly affect anyone, and my guess is that each one of you can think of someone right now whose life has been touched by addiction of some kind. When I told her on the phone that day, I had a pit in my stomach not knowing whether my mom would be there for the birth of my child. Well, a few months passed, and my mom was able to leave. And through a few answered prayers, she became involved in two incredible organizations in the community, one, Women of Hope, and two, Project Free to Fly. These organizations have walked beside my mom over the past year and a half and been true. It's been a beautiful, beautiful, what kind of word is that? Beautiful story of hope, transformation, healing, redemption. And I will add with the Women of Hope, Project Free to Fly, Church of Harvest, Pastor Rhonda, Pastor Hank, and every single person sitting in this room. Um, and she goes on to say, so my little boy just recently turned a year old. My mom was able to be there in the room when he was born. She was there for me in my early days of learning to care for a newborn. There when he was dedicated to the church, with me at doctor appointments, on his first Christmas morning, at his first birthday, and when he took his first steps. If it had not been Four, Women of Hope and others that walked alongside my mom in a holistic way. I don't know for sure that she would have been able to be there for all those special moments. I'm very grateful she was. Now as a new mom, I've learned the meaning of it takes a village when it comes to raising a child. And the truth is that we all need a village of some kind. Um... One thing I've seen more and more in my life and in my work is that showing up matters. Relationships matter. Empowering people, loving people where they are matters. We can all be advocates for those around us and the people that God puts in our path. It is all part of a bigger story, and we are often connected in ways we don't understand. We are all in need We all need community. And I will add this. We all need God. 
without God, without his forgiveness, without claiming whatever it is, was, you've gone through, no matter how hard it is, you cannot be set free. You cannot stand up. You cannot walk forward. You cannot talk to people, help people. I could not talk to homeless people. I couldn't talk to people who had been in jail. I could not talk to a woman who endured what I did had I not been through it. I've been through homelessness. I've been through all that. And yes, there too, God put people in my path. Nashville, Tennessee, on the streets for two nights. And he put different men there to protect me because I was by myself. Um, I have so many incidences. Um, the people in this room know who you are, the angels in my life. There are so, so many. And like I said at the beginning, um, this church, my family, Women of Hope, Miss Connie, Pastor David, um, being able to sit with the ladies at Women of Hope and just talk to them and uh, just be able to relate to different things um, has been a blessing. I never, ever, ever thought that I would be on the other side. But the truth is, I could be still on that other side if I choose. So I have to be every single day ready, every single day praying, every single day I am one half of a step away from picking up a drink. A drink, a drug, crack cocaine, hand sanitizer, mouthwash, pain pills, Adderall, whatever. When you lose your license and you don't have those, the whatever alcohol, you learn in rehabs you can use other means. So I did that. So you can imagine how horrible I felt about myself. Oh, my gosh, what am I doing? But when you do those things, as most addicts do, you justify up here. I mean, it's not really alcohol. It's not really beer or wine or anything else because it's sold in stores. So you drink it. It is a miracle I'm alive. And God picked me up every single time. But I truly don't believe that he would, you know, people, I don't know, people used to always ask me, how do you get through these things? How do you, um, how did that happen or this happen or whatever? And I always said, God knows my heart. He knows my heart. It wasn't like I grew, I was born and I said, you know, I think I want to just do all these things. I want to just have all these enemies and destroy, destroy my family. I didn't do that. Um, you know, you're sitting in a jail cell and because you were forging a prescription and you're crying and your head's down and the jailer opens the door. Miss Brock, are you an alcoholic? Yes. You want to come out here and talk to me a minute? Go out there and talk to him at the table. He says he is too. And we talked, and he took me home. I tell you, I don't know. God is just so good. 
And if you have anybody in your life um, or yourself going through addictions, I don't know. You know, I've been on both sides now with, with my parents and with my sister and myself. You can't do it for them. We know that. You, we can't do it for them. But then, and there's a part that says, just let them go and let them, you know, do what they need to do. Mm, part of me believes that, and there's still a small part that doesn't. Because if some of the people had just let me go, mm, I don't know. So you just pray about it and ask God what you should do. And he'll show you the way every single time. Thank you.